Amen. I want to minister to you very briefly tonight. I know many of you are here for the basketball tournament, and we'll get to that very shortly. And I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have one with you, uh, to Matthew chapter 10. If you do not, we're going to put the verses up on the screen. Uh, Welcome to everybody. I know, again, many of you are visiting. We do these basketball tournaments every uh, summer, four of them. We're going to have one more at the end of uh, August. Uh, And we really do appreciate all those of you that have come, and we appreciate uh, your patience with us in attending uh, our church service tonight, and uh, we will get to all the activities shortly. Matthew chapter 10 is where I want to read from. Having never met a lot of you, some of you that are visitors tonight, what would you think if tonight? I could read your life like a book. I could speak as though I knew everything about you. All the secrets, all the pains, all the woundings of life. What would you think if by the end of this sermon, in a few minutes, I could read your life like a book, describe you better than anyone ever has And I say that because I'm going to make an effort to do just that. And I can't do that because I have some gift or because I am a prophet, which I am not. But I can say that because God knows you. And you are described in his word. And so all I ask you to do tonight for a few minutes is pay very close attention. I want your attention tonight. I want to ask that nobody move for a few moments uh, because you may never hear anything like you're going to hear ever again in your life. This may be the only opportunity, the only clear opportunity uh, uh, that God has to touch your heart, uh, to reach you, uh, to speak into your life. Uh, And my prayer tonight uh, is is that by the time we're finished, uh, I want you to be thinking or saying, uh, how did he know that about me? How is it that I could come into a church I've never been to before, uh, and the person who's speaking uh, can preach or minister uh, uh, just like he knows everything about my life? And it's again, it's not because I know everything about your life, it's because God does. And we're going to demonstrate that to you tonight. Matthew chapter 10, I want to read just three verses, beginning in verse 29. Jesus makes this fascinating statement. He said, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will, your heavenly Father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. That's a way of Jesus saying God knows you. Every single thing about your life, every detail, every secret, hidden sin, everything you're ashamed about, every pain, every wound, every bruise, everything you've ever been through. It's a way of Jesus saying God knows all about you, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, for you are of more value. Than many sparrows. You have value to God. And I want to talk about that first of all for a moment. God does know you. Most people, and a lot of you would not admit this because it's not a very manly thing to admit, but most of us in life feel alone. I know that about you. Most of us feel alone in one way or another. All of us have very profound physical, spiritual, and emotional needs. We all have a need to be loved. We all have a need to be valued and appreciated in life. And we all have a need to be accepted for who we are. If you come from a good family, you had loving parents. You had a mom and dad who loved each other and a mom and dad who loved you. You had brothers and sisters. Through that interaction, those needs, a lot of those needs are met. You're loved. You're valued. You're appreciated. You're defended. 
You are nurtured and ministered to and cared for. And this does so much to stabilize people in life and to create an environment for healthy emotional expression. But even if that is the case, and that's not the case with most that I deal with anyway, people come from families, have been blown up, disintegrated, divorce and betrayal and abandonment and drugs and alcohol and sexual immorality and sexual molestation. And many people grow up in life, you haven't been loved. You haven't been valued. You haven't been appreciated and accepted for who you are. And so this leaves a gigantic hole in our being of unmet need. But even if those needs have been met to some degree through family and loved ones, let me ask you this question. At what point in your life did you start thinking about God? I can remember when I did. I grew up a Catholic, went to Catholic Mass, but I remember somewhere... Uh, around seventh or eighth grade, I started thinking about God. Is there a God? Is He real? Does He know me? You can look up at the sky and see the stars and marvel at God's creation, and you have to wonder, is there someone who made all this? Is there someone who created all this? Is He all about love? Does He know me? Can I know Him? And people begin to think about, Where did I come from? And what does all this mean? And what is my purpose in life? And we essentially grow up, no matter how fulfilling or unfulfilling our life may have been up until this point, when you start thinking about God, you start wondering about purpose. Who am I? What is my purpose? There has to be more to life than what I've experienced thus far. This can't be all there is. There has to be more. And it's at that point when we begin to think about God and ponder these matters that we really do start feeling alone. Something inside of us wants to know. Something inside of us has to know. This is what drives the search, and it's part of every single life. Whether you may call yourself an atheist, who doesn't believe in God at all. There is no God. You may consider yourself an agnostic uh, uh, who says uh, there may be a God, there may not be a God, I just don't know. But most people have a sense there has to be more. There has to be. Someone had to have made all this. The universe, the world, the incredible creation that we're a part of. And we have eyes now into the depths of the universe. We can see 28 million light years away now. The galaxies that are there, the splendor and the color and the wonder and the awesomeness of God's creation. And here we are on this single planet that is really a speck of dust, less than a speck of dust, in the enormity of all of God's creation. And we are one individual on that speck of dust. Uh, Is there a God? Uh, Does that God know me? Uh, And uh, in the search for this, we can feel so very alone. Now, let's look at your life through God's eyes. You may not know him tonight. You may not have an answer for any of these questions that I have posed to you tonight. But I can tell you this of a certainty, that God knows who you are, absolutely. Jeremiah, the great prophet, in fact, I'm reading uh, the book of Jeremiah right now in my devotional Bible reading, and I love the book of Jeremiah. He was about 15 years old when God first visited him. And Jeremiah was like a lot of 15-year-olds here. That's about the age, uh, maybe a little younger in some cases, but we're starting to think about God and purpose and why and how and if and all of those things. And then Jeremiah writes this uh, sometime after it happened. He was about 15 or so years old. And he said, the word of the Lord came to me. That's what's happening tonight. The word of the Lord is coming to you tonight as a young man or woman, or maybe a not so young man or woman. But he writes and says, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, God said to Jeremiah, I knew you. 
I knew you were coming. I knew you were going to be born. I knew you, and before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And so here's Jeremiah. He's coming of age like you people are, like some of you young people are. God speaks to him, and he gets a revelation. Now he meets with God. He hears from God. And now he knows that there is a God, and he knows that God knows him, and he reveals to him and assigns to him a purpose, the reason for which he was created. Jeremiah, I have called you to be my spokesman on earth to your nation. And he became that for decades. In many, many years, he spoke for God to the nation because he found his purpose. I can remember when all of these things happened in my life, I came of age uh, back in uh, uh, the early uh, late 60s and early 70s. I was born uh, in 1954. I'm 62 years old now, but I can still remember my youth and my teenage years and beginning to take drugs and uh, smoke weed and use uh, alcohol and take acid. I remember doing all that and all of it for us uh, that was in the circle of friends that I uh, ran with. We were searching. We were looking. We didn't just want to get high and have fun and have a good time. We thought that we could be enlightened. Uh, We would drop acid, LSD. I don't hear too much uh, about that anymore. We thought uh, that somehow it would connect us with God. That's how we thought back then. And before I used drugs, uh, before I ever thought about taking drugs, uh, as I was coming of age, uh, there would be moments uh, of deep reflection, even as a child, uh, where I would wonder and I would ponder uh, and I would think uh, there has to be more. There has to be a God. To God, you have value. He knows you. Better than you know yourself. Better than your mother and father know you, your grandmother, your grandfather. Better than the friends that you've come with tonight. God knows everything about your life. And to God, you have value. You may have been kicked to the curb in this life. You may have been rejected in this life. You may have been hurt and abused. And you may feel very alone and very unloved in this life. But I want you to know that to God, you have value and you are loved by him and you can be accepted by him. In the book of Psalms. David is pondering about his incredible life. God rose him from an obscure shepherd boy unknown to king of Israel. And he writes this in Psalms 139, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous, O Lord, are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written. The days were fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. And then later on, David added to that kind of sentiment and said, Who am I, Lord? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? The reality is that to God, David had value. This shepherd boy on obscure hillsides in Israel who had a clean heart, a right heart, a searching heart, he wants to know God. God reveals himself to David and not only reveals himself, but leads him down the path of an incredible purpose and future and destiny. And David writes these words many, many years after uh, when he first met God and was called to be king of Israel. And he's still in awe. He still marvels. God, you know me. You know who I am. Who am I, Lord, that you have brought me this far? And what is man, O God, that you are mindful of him? Now, let me talk about you and your current condition. All of us are born in sin. And I say that because that is 
our current identity. We are sinners. And here is where I can accurately describe you. The Bible says in Romans, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The word there to sin means to miss the mark, to wander from the path of righteousness and honor, to go toward wrong. We know right and wrong, don't we? But there is some powerful force inside each and every one of us that drives us toward doing wrong. Think of the things that we do, the things that we think, the things that we say. And this is exactly what that scripture means. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We miss the mark. You may know what's right, but you can't do it, can you? You may want to quit and lay down the needle and quit the cocaine and stop the violence and stop the hatred. But there's something in you that drives you and propels you and you can't stop. It's our natural bent. It's a direction that we drift as we're doing wrong. We're no, we know we're doing wrong. We may feel guilt, but that's not enough to stop us. Inside of us, there's a small part that wants to do right, wants to be pleasing to God, wants to express love and kindness and generosity, but we don't have the will, we don't have the wherewithal, we don't have the ability, we don't have the constitution to do those things, only sin. It's our natural bent, and it's the direction that we always drift. Someone said that we are not sinners because we sin. Sinning doesn't make you a sinner. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's our identity. It's who you are. Ephesians talks about your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. So sin working in your life, you don't get better. It doesn't come under control, but it gets worse the older you get. The more wrongdoing you become accustomed to, the more wickedness begins to express itself through your life. The word corrupt there means to waste or to shrivel or to wither away. That the old man, the old nature, the sinful nature grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. This is what has happened to you and is happening to you. Because it's what sin does. Sin has common attributes. It has very common ways of expressing itself. It may be different, but there's a commonality between how sin manifests itself. First of all, in each and every one of you, there are corrupt desires. There are inside of your heart, and it's undeniable, the presence of corrupt desires in your life is undeniable. The Bible talks about the works of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5. The works of the flesh. These are the desires that are inside your heart uh, that eventually work out and manifest themselves in the actions that you take. uh, And it refers to things like adultery and fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, jealousy, anger, selfishness. Murders, envy, drunkenness, and the like. No one does those things because you have to. You do those things because you want to. They're desires. They're wicked desires. I remember when those were working in my life. Wicked desires that led me to violence. Wicked desires that led me to abusing my body with drugs and alcohol. Driving home at night so drunk uh, I couldn't remember driving home. I woke up one morning uh, uh, hungover, went out to my van, uh, and it had uh, uh, it was smashed in the front and was uh, covered in red paint. And apparently I hit a red car. I have no memory of that. I don't have any clue what happened that night. These perverse desires that drive your actions are inside of us. Think about what you do in your life. Think about what you do. We're not robots. 
We have a will, and our will is driven by the desires of our heart. James put it this way, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. You're in possession of these desires, these corrupt desires that lead you to destructive behavior. Then desire, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings death. So you go from desire to death. The desires are going to eventually lead to actions, and those actions, and it's not talking there about physical death, obviously, but as you progress in sin, you're going to slowly die spiritually. So the attribute of sin or corrupt desires, the second attribute are destructive actions. Because of sin working in us, we hurt ourselves and we hurt others. Right now, all over our city, it's Sunday night, July 31st, there's a good chance someone's going to die tonight because someone was driving drunk. Right now, all over our city, people are sticking needles in their arms. The crack houses are doing a great business uh, while finances are being robbed uh, and uh, families are being broken up and destroyed because of drug addiction. Right now in our city, someone's committing an armed robbery. Gangbangers are running around armed uh, looking for revenge. There's domestic violence. Uh, Someone is getting beat up. Some weaker uh, is being beat up by a stronger in a home somewhere in our city right now. Uh, And the agony and the horror uh, of domestic violence is playing out uh, and will play out multiple places all over our city. Someone's being sexually molested behind closed doors. Children are being born out of wedlock that aren't going to have a prayer of success in life because they're going to grow up to be rejected. Babies are being aborted. Who knows how many appointments have been scheduled as pregnant women walk into the various clinics around our city to abort their living child that's in their womb that's not going to have a chance. The safest place for a baby should be the womb of his or her mother, but today it's a dangerous place. Your sin is going to lead you to hurt yourself and to hurt others. And I wonder, you may not want to think about this, but remember what I said, God knows you. And I wonder who is hurt because of your sin. Is it a mother and a father? Is it a boyfriend, a girlfriend? Is it someone that you have perpetrated violence on? Who is hurt in life because of sin in you? Your selfishness, your anger, your rage. Someone, if you're of age... Someone is hurt and is going to be hurt because of your sin and because of your selfishness, because of your pride. You may be here tonight and you've been deprived of the things that I spoke about. You haven't been loved in your life. You haven't been accepted and valued by a loving mother and father or someone as you're growing up. And so you grow up angry. You grow up with this great void in your life, unmet need. And I talk to so many young people and some of them, thank God, are in our church. But they grow up so angry. They have to go through things in their young years that they're not equipped to handle. They're scarred emotionally. Uh, They're having to deal with betrayals and wounds uh, and abuse uh, and violence sometimes of various kinds. And they're just children. Uh, They're just young people. Uh, Their emotions are innocent uh, and they're young uh, and they're not able to cope with. Adults can barely cope with what they have to go through in life. Uh, Not uh, uh, mentioning a child. Uh, And these children very often, uh, after having been hurt and wounded uh, and rejected, uh, will grow up very angry in life. And they're going to hurt somebody. They're going to hurt themselves. And then there is the unending frustration that you feel in your life tonight. It's a very simple explanation for how we feel on the inside. The Bible teaches us that we're all born under a curse. 
At the point of man's sin, God created Adam and Eve, put them on the earth, gave them everything, blessed them. They had relationship. They had innocence. They had holiness. They had righteousness. They had favor with God, but they sinned. They made a decision to disobey God. And as a consequence of that, the Bible says that the earth and the heart of man became cursed The best way to describe this is a a spiritual overthrow. Adam was created in the image and likeness of God, but when he sinned, he began to take on the attributes of Satan, pride and lust and deceit and immorality. God didn't make man with those attributes in place. When man chose to sin, he opened the door for those things to begin to enter in, and we've been living under the weight of that curse. It's not only that we do things, but it's our nature to do them, and we live underneath the weight of a curse and life and nature and all the attributes of it no longer contribute and cooperate with the interests of man, but it all works against his interests. Romans says, through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. That's when it all began. That explains the heavy weight and the curse and the burden and the frustration that you feel in your life, the pain, the sickness, the agonizing emptiness, the deep, dark frustrations of life that press in on us. This is why you sit here tonight and in life you're frustrated. You can't find happiness. You can't find peace. No matter what you try to fulfill your life with, uh, you always seem to be struggling. Uh, Life always seems to be running uphill against the wind. uh, And we can't capture uh, the things that we're really looking for in life. uh, Peace and love and joy and happiness uh, and fulfillment. uh, And life is never easy. Uh, It can't be easy uh, because we're living underneath the weight of a curse. No matter how many advantages you may have had in your life, we're all born in sin. And we all experience the unending frustration of that. Now, the final point I want to make to you tonight is that there's a way of escape. Salvation is God's great rescue operation. Born of how much he loves you. He knows you. You may think yourself wicked and evil and bad and not worth knowing. And why would God have anything to do with somebody like me? My own mother didn't even care about me. My own father rejected me and abandoned me. Why would God care two cents about me? Well, the Bible says you are of more value than anything else that God has created. His objective is to save you. What he needs to do for you tonight, you cannot do for yourself. You can try to change. You can try to be a better person. You can move to a different city. People do that all the time. They think moving to another city, man, everything's going to change, a new start. But it doesn't work that way. I talk to people all the time. It's an absolute failure. The problem with moving to another city for a new start is you've got to take you with you. And when you land wherever it is that you're going to, you're going to have the same problems, the same mess, the same uh, attitudes, the same destructive behavior. First Timothy says, uh, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance uh, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners uh, of whom I am chief. That was the Apostle Paul writing that. Luke 19, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save uh, that which is lost. The Bible is one long message of love for you. On the cross. Think about this. Jesus is on the cross being crucified. He's taking the punishment that you and I are deserving of. The death sentence that is on your life and mine because of our sin, he took it on himself. He took the death sentence. All the punishment that is deserving of all the sin that has ever been committed, 
Jesus paid for it on the cross. Uh, They crucified him. Uh, They nailed him. Uh, He's in agonizing suffering uh, and bleeding out uh, the last drops of blood uh, before he passed away. Uh, And then next to him there's a thief. Uh, And this thief uh, begins to mock Jesus and begins to ridicule him. Uh, And on the other side uh, there's another thief. uh, And that one begins to rebuke the thief that's mocking Jesus. uh, And he says to him, uh, why are you doing that. Uh, We are here because we deserve to be here. This man has done nothing. Now, I don't know how that thief knew that, but he knew it. And there was enough love left in the heart of Christ to look at this young man. Remember, just before Jesus died, he's in the very peak of his suffering. Most people, when they're suffering and they're hurting, they can't think of anything but themselves. But he looks at this man and says to him, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Love and value. He has compassion for you like no one else has compassion for you. And your challenge tonight is to recognize your need and come to Jesus. If I did that, If I can get saved, this is what I tell people all the time. If I can get saved, anybody can get saved. You know, it's my generation. Like I said, I was born in 1954. I grew up, came of age in the late 60s. That's when all the drugs and rebellion and uh, sexual immorality uh, uh, started spreading uh, uh, its talons across our culture and society and country. Uh, I was involved in that. Uh, I got involved in the in the mess of that generation. Uh, and now here we are, uh, another generation later, uh, and the fruit of it is in front of us. Uh, the broken families, the destroyed lives, uh, uh, the 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 absolute uh, devastation that has taken place uh, as a result of the sin uh, that my generation embraced embraced and spread and inspired others to partake of. And it was in the midst of the emptiness that my sin produced in me that I gave my life to Christ. I heard a message just like you're hearing tonight. Somebody told me about Jesus. And I thought of the verse in Hebrews 12, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Isn't it time for you to think about doing that tonight? Getting the weight of sin off your shoulders. Wouldn't you like to get rid of the burden that you've been carrying? Those corrupt desires that are driving you uh, to actions that are hurting yourself and hurting others. The deep frustration that you feel in life, uh, you just can't get it together. Uh, Everything is a dead-end street. Uh, You turn down one, uh, you thought that was going to fulfill you, and it's a dead end. Uh, You get out of that, go down another street, uh, and you thought that was going to bring fulfillment and purpose and bring meaning to your life, uh, and it's another dead end, uh, and it's going to be that way uh, until your dying day, until you come to Christ. Some of you may have never heard the gospel. And you may never hear it again. This may be the only and best opportunity for you to give your heart to Jesus Christ. We're living under a curse, but that curse can be broken tonight as it has been broken in my life and many others that are here. And I wonder, have I read your life like a book tonight or not? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't want anyone moving for just a moment. As the love of Jesus Christ touches people's hearts here this evening, I know what it's like to sit where you're sitting, lost and bound and confused and addicted and angry and frustrated and empty and lonely. When I gave my life to Christ, I was 19, married, had one child, going nowhere. My wife and I were in such a mess of anger and unforgiveness an addiction, but somebody told us about Jesus. And somehow, someway, that message got through to me. And on May 22nd, 1975, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. My wife received Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And I want to tell you, everything from that day forward changed. I've never gotten over what happened to me on that day. Forty-one years ago. A little more than 41 years ago. He changed us. 
It was different. Everything was different and new. Jesus said, you must be born again. And that's what happened to us. First Corinthians says uh, that all things can be made new. Whosoever is in Christ is a new creation. Uh, and that was me. At 19 years old, I became new. I was honest with myself. I'm a sinner. I've been wrong and I've done wrong. And I'm ready to admit that my life's a mess and I'm going nowhere. And that I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. I need God's love. And when I humbled myself, let down my pride, and prayed a simple prayer in sincerity, God, I'm a sinner. Can you forgive me? Will you help me? I receive you as my Savior, and I want to live for you. That's about the extent of what I prayed. And it changed everything forever in my life. I didn't join a church, become religious, join a program. Heaven broke through in my heart. You can ignore this message. You can wave your hand, push back, say, what does that preacher know? Well, God knows. That's the point. God's read you like a book tonight, hasn't he? He knows what's inside your heart. He knows everything about you. And he loves you and values you. And he wants to help you and save you and forgive you tonight. He wants to introduce you to himself. He has a purpose for you. I found mine when I gave my life to Christ. God has called me to be a preacher of the gospel. I travel the world today. I pastor this church. But I travel to the nations of the world every month. I'm in a different country preaching and ministering the Word of God in our various churches. I can hardly believe. I feel the way David did. God, who am I that you brought me this far? I marvel at what God's done. And as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, you're here tonight, you're not saved, you know it. You're not right with God, you know that. You're a sinner and you know that tonight. Would you let me pray for you? That's all I want to do. All I want to do is say a prayer for you. And in order to do that, all I need you to do is acknowledge. You know what, Pastor? You've read me like a book. God does know who I am. And I really would like to receive Jesus as my Savior. I want to get rid of this burden of sin that I've been carrying. I want to get my heart right with God. If that describes you, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking, I want you just to lift your hand up right now. Let me pray for you. God bless you, young man. I see that. Anyone else? Thank you. I see that. God bless you. God's going to help you tonight. Amen. Someone else. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for that. God bless you. Thank you, ma'am. God's going to help you tonight. Are there others this evening? Amen. God bless you. I see that. Thank you very, very much. God bless you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that. Thank you. Over here on my left. God love you. Amen. Anyone else? God bless you. I see that. Thank you very much. Anyone else? Christians, you're praying tonight. God is breaking through the hearts of men and women. Could you lift your hand? All I want to do is pray for you. Thank you, son. I see that. Amen. Anyone else? God bless you, ma'am. I see that. God bless you. I see that. Thank you. Anyone else? God bless you. Thank you very, very much. Amen. Be honest with God. Let's do that. Before we break and go out to the fun and festivities, let's get right with God tonight. Amen. Let's let God change us. You don't have to go back to the same life, the same person that you were. You could be made new. That's what I'm assuring you of. Oh, Jesus, lift your hand tonight. Join these that have already done so. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Lift your hand right up. Maybe you're backslidden tonight. Maybe you once knew the Lord. You once got your heart right. You, you had once lived for God, but you're not living for Him right now. And God has dealt with you. Uh, maybe you got angry over something. Maybe you left the church for whatever reason. I'm not interested in any of that, but you're not right with God and you want to rededicate. You want to get your heart right right now. Your heart's not right, but you want to get right. Lift your hand. You're backslidden. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? Lift your hand right up. Lift it right up. All right, if you raised your hand, I want you to look at me. Did you mean that? You meant that. I believe you did. Did you mean that? I saw you raise your hand right here in front of me. Young man, you raised your hand. Did you mean that? I believe that you did. Amen. There are many others. You meant that. Did you mean that? Did you guys mean that right here? 
you meant that. Amen. I believe that you did. I want you to come right now and let me pray with you. Get out of your seat. Someone's going to come and meet you in the front. Amen. I want you to come. I don't want to embarrass you, but you need to respond. You raised your hand. I want you to come right now. Amen. God is going to touch your life. I need a lot of uh, uh, our people to come and pray with these. Amen. God bless you, son. Thank you for coming. What's your name? Have you ever prayed before? Amen. You want to get serious with God tonight? Amen. God bless you. This is Enrique. He's going to pray with you. I need someone over here on my left. Sister to come and pray here. Amen. Make sure someone is praying with everyone tonight. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God is so good. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. It's not too late for you to come. God's speaking to you tonight. Why don't you come? Why don't you be man enough to come and say, God, I need you tonight. We're talking about heaven and hell. If you leave this service, go your way. Your life comes to an end. And you never gave your life to Christ. You'll be reminded of this night. It would have been so easy if I just lived for God. Why didn't I? Why couldn't I? Why couldn't I live for Jesus? Why couldn't I do what's right? It's not too late tonight for you to come. I want to open these altars. I want you to pray with these, spend as much time as you need to. But I want others to come and pray. There are Christians here that you're living under the weight of an inherited curse. The torments and assaults. You feel like you're carrying that weight. I preached that sermon on the weight of oppression recently. And you need to come and let God help you and touch you tonight for deliverance. Let God cleanse our hearts from everything that is tormenting our minds. We're offended. We can't forgive. It's a curse we're under. We can't shake the lust, the immorality. It's a curse we're living under. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you, Lord. I want us all to stand tonight. Others are still coming to the altar. We're going to sing. We're going to worship the Lord as you're coming tonight. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Oh, thank God.
bowed, eyes are closed. God, I pray for deliverance tonight from every curse. I break the power of them. I plead the blood of Jesus over every tormenting curse that has expression in people's lives, Lord, in Jesus' name. Touch every one of these that is praying for salvation. God, establish your presence. Reveal yourself in all of your love, might, power, and authority and dominion, O God. Hallelujah. Thank you so much, O Lord. In the name of Jesus, continue praying. Let's sing again, worshiping the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, God, you're worthy to be praised. Jesus. What a great sight tonight. Thank you to all of our visitors that have come tonight and uh, been patient through the service. And those of you that have responded, if you have prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior, uh, this is just a beginning for you. I encourage you to be back in church on uh, Wednesday night. We have another service just like this. You're going to learn more about what God knows about you. And now you have an opportunity to grow in a brand new life. So please come back on Wednesday uh, at 7 p.m. If you prayed with someone, make sure you turn in uh, the card uh, that you have uh, in the appropriate place. Please don't forget that. Uh, Amen. We're going to dismiss right now. I'm going to stay in the front here. uh, And if anyone needs prayer, I'll be here to pray with you. Uh, But right now we're going to dismiss. The food is all ready. Uh, everything's already set up. Uh, and so if you're going to play basketball, I think what you need to do is go meet uh, in the court area there and get all that organized. I think we have a record number of teams tonight, uh, something like 30 or 32 teams. So uh, we need to get all that organized and get everything started. It's going to be a great night tonight. Uh, don't forget tomorrow night, men's discipleship for all the men in the church uh, uh, at 7:30. So if you're new in the church, we encourage you to come. You're not gonna, uh, you're not gonna want to miss uh, Pastor Mitchell tomorrow night. Amen. So uh, that's tomorrow. Let's uh, bow our heads. Uh, we're going to dismiss in prayer, and I'm going to ask Raul Regosa if you lift your voice. Thank God for what He's done tonight, and let's leave here rejoicing. Amen.
Amen.